Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Let's open a Friday show with giving out some congratulations. Congratulations to Jeff Mitty. He has officially signed Ziana Walker, a guard from Wichita who played one year at Louisville, was a former top 20 recruit in the 2022 recruiting class, tore it up in the town of Wichita. She is officially a Wildcat. She'll play some guard for the Cats this upcoming season. And now Jeff Mitty looking for one more player to sign to complete his team, looking for a five to back up Yoki. Drum Tang has officially signed Tyler Perry, 5'11 guard, transfer from North Texas. So both Tyler and Zai, I guess she goes by Zai instead of Ziana, uh, going to lead K-State both in men's and women's basketball to very promising 2023-24 seasons. Another congratulations I want to send out is to AEW owner Tony Khan. He just announced that the all-in pay-per-view that has not announced a single match yet, not a single match, and they're going to hold a company that has been around for three years, a pay-per-view at Wembley Stadium, the 100th anniversary of Wembley Stadium, a stadium that holds over 90,000 people. They're going to try to hold a pay-per-view there? They're two-thirds of a way to a sold-out show. A show that's not even until August. Tickets, by the way, went on sale to the general public this morning. And they've already sold two-thirds of the tickets. Good gosh. They're going to sell it out. It's going to be the largest show in UK history. And it's potentially going to be the second largest professional wrestling show in the history of professional wrestling. Going back all the way back to when Abraham Lincoln used to have wrestling matches on the weekends. By the way, the largest uh, professional wrestling show is uh, technically, if you're not just going paid attendance, North Korea holds the record. And they had a two-day event. WCW went over there. There's a uh, Dark Side of the Ring documentary on this done by Vice. It was really good. The two-day event had over 300,000 people. And uh, 
what was so wild about that is like the North Koreans had obviously never seen anything like that in their lives. So the whole, let's see, so the average is about 150,000 people are sitting there quiet watching a wrestling show. One of the most bizarre atmospheres and experiences in sports or sports entertainment history. Welcome to the game. It is Mitch Fortner. It is Troy Coverdale. Our phone number is 785-537-1350. Boy, what an interesting back and forth earlier today on Twitter between Mike Vernon, who calls himself the KU Scoopsmeister and is the Webster's Dictionary definition of rent-free in your head when it comes to K-State versus KU, and he's obviously a KU guy, and rent-free when it comes to a rivalry being stuck in his head. Man, went back and forth earlier today with Dream Dowling on social media because the coaching staff was on a Southwest flight, and he shamed him for that, which to me is ridiculous. What? I'm a big fan of Southwest. Yes, they have had a rough couple of months. Come on. But let's not treat Southwest like it's you know a third-class airline. Big fan. I have a Southwest credit card. I've been racking up the points. I love a free flight. I'm nearing 200,000 points, Troy. That's a lot of points. Now, he also criticized this Mike Vernon guy of Drum Tang taking his shoes off and putting – because Dream and and Tang, they they got the front row seats in Southwest. And a front row seat on a plane, you know, it's not – Southwest doesn't have first class. So you don't have the trays that come with the front seats. And Tang took his shoes off and and put his feet up on the wall that's in front of him. Troy, you've flown a whole bunch. I've flown a whole bunch. I don't know how strong you are or as much of how much of a believer are you when it comes to plane etiquette? Is that a big deal to you? Are you okay with letting things go? Boy, um, I don't take my own shoes off on a flight, but I'm also not normally going to say much if someone else does. That spot may be a little different, though. That said, can we be honest to God sure that this isn't Vernon pulling everybody's chain? Well, I mean, he he posted the pictures. Oh, boy. I mean, I don't know where he got the pictures, but... uh if it came from Dowling or whatever, but I, so when it comes to plane etiquette, I'm big about the armrests, especially if it's a row of three, you have three seats. If there's three seats, the armrests go like this. If you have the window, you get the window. You don't get to use your armrest that is shared with the middle seat. The middle seat gets the right away to the two armrests because they're sitting middle. That's a rough place to sit. It's not the most comfortable place. You're sitting between most likely two strangers. And by the way, these seats aren't exactly very big. There's not a whole lot of room. And then if you have the aisle, you get the aisle. You can lean over a little bit. You have more leg room if you're sitting uh, in the aisle seat. So let that person in the middle have the armrest. When it comes to shoes and taking them off, this is a very common question on the Are You Garbage podcast. Really? Like, do you take your shoes off in a fight? Do you keep them on? Do you lean your chair back? The thing is, if you lean your chair back, I think that is is your real estate, to lean your chair back a little bit. Just don't jerk it back right away. That's a D-bag move. Don't do that. I dislike it because you're usually going right back into someone's knees or they have their trade table down. Right. That's another – like, you got to pay it – 
maybe give a little glance back. Ask. Yeah. I've actually I've never asked, but I also never put my seat back usually. I'm I, okay with yeah. leaving it up. No, I don't I don't tend to put mine back and I don't tend to take my shoes off. The because shoe- people don't need my smiley feet for so crying the, out loud. That's the thing. The shoes thing, I'm typically okay with it as long as you're wearing socks. Hopefully you don't have stinky feet. Maybe putting them up on the wall is going a little bit too far. The thing is, I believe Tanger, he's sitting by Dream Dowling. There's a guy in the middle. I don't know if they know him or not. If they do, that's gr- I'm not sure who that is, to be honest with you. If you know who you're sitting by, I think it's perfectly okay. If you're sitting by a couple of strangers, maybe you think twice about it. Putting your feet up on the wall, you know, I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> but it just depends on the person. So, Welcome to uh, the debate that will never end. Plain etiquette questions. Tang doesn't have sneaky feet, though. That's a guy that doesn't have sneaky feet. Probably not. He's got good hygiene. Plus... He's a head coach at the K-State Wildcats. I'm sure he's getting new shoes all the time. Fresh shoes. No, I don't think there's too much to worry about with this guy. Perfectly okay. Uh, Did I welcome us yet? We're welcomed? We're welcomed. All right. Uh, Let's keep this rolling because in the next segment, I want to go back to what I wanted to play yesterday. That's the interview that uh, Josh Hayes, the safety for the Cats that played one year here, was drafted to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has family ties to the Buccaneers that are so strong that it really moved one of the members of the media for the Buccaneers. During that press conference, we'll hear that a little bit later on. We're on until 5.30 because we have the Backcats coming up at 5.30. Game one of three against SEMO. Southeast Missouri is going to be visiting the Cats for K-State's final series in non-conference play. And then Troy will take over for the final 30 minutes of the show in hour number two. DraftKings has put out the first Big 12 win over under heading into the 2023 season. And like clockwork, we get to complain about (laughs) Texas and Oklahoma potentially being overrated. They always get the, uh, the, the top of the leaderboard when it comes to projected wins on the year. As a matter of fact, overrated. Nine and a half wins for both Oklahoma and Texas. Now, K State. Is at eight and a half. That's probably the highest ever. Texas Tech and Baylor. I was surprised about Baylor. Texas Tech, not at all. I think this is very fair. At seven and a half wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, also throw TCU at seven and a half wins. TCU's a wild card heading into next year. I have no idea. They're just replacing so much. I'm not sure about uh TCU, and I'm, I doubt DraftKings does either. O-State, Kansas, UCF at 6.5, BYU at 6, Iowa State at 5.5, 4.5 for both Cincy in Houston, and West Virginia is at 4.5. To be real with you, I think a lot of these are very fair over-unders. I think K-State's over-unders is very fair at 8.5. Uh, Texas... Uh, you know what, since everybody likes to call Texas and Oklahoma overrated, let's just look at them. Let's let's talk about Oklahoma and Texas, where they stand right now. I'd rather not, but just, okay. Well, <laughs> I just want to get this out of the way. Oklahoma, I have no reason to take the over on that. Absolutely no reason. They're coming off a six-win season in Brent Venable's first year. The defense is supposed to be good. 
You can argue Oklahoma had the worst defense in the Big 12 this this past season. They struggled. This, this was a big issue for Oklahoma last year, getting pressure on the quarterback. And to address that issue, they go to the transfer portal and get Oklahoma State's Trace Ford. Trace Ford has had flashes of excellence, but it's been flashes. It has not been consistent. He had one sack last year. There's no depth at defensive tackle. They have no depth at the corner position. And they might be decent at linebacker and safety. I am not expecting a huge turnaround for this Oklahoma defense. Oklahoma defense that gave up 37 points in Big 12 play last year. A game. I mean, if you want to be contenders for the Big 12, chop off 10 points and we'll talk. The one thing that stands out to me is that you at least have the guys that are there have been in the system a year. Now, does that help in the grand scheme of things? It, they'll, be, they'll be improved, but are they going to be better to the tune of what everybody thinks they're going to be? Well, in Oklahoma, they're going to try to fill some spots with some potentially true freshmen. Wide receiver is a big question mark. Even though, well, Farouk comes back. You have Stoops that come back, but they don't have they don't have a star wide receiver. It, I'm not even sure who the running back's going to be. It really highlights again what happened to the defense under Lincoln Riley, as it was allowed to wither and wither and wither and wither every recruiting class that he had, and the offensive guys tended to go with him or other places, filter out. The big offensive guys did, for the most part, and left them without much offensively last year. But defensively, I mean, this this is the trend that they've had. And it's Brent Venables is probably having feeling like he's having to turn around a bigger ship than what maybe he thought he was going to have to defensively. This day and age, as, as quick as things can turn around, I'm not giving Brent Venables any excuses. To me, there's this day and age, how quickly you can go get guys. The transfer portal has been a blessing for many teams. K-State, I mean, K-State has been able to really turn around a few things when it comes to the transfer portal. Like, you know, first year of uh, of climbing. The one, no running backs, had no running backs. Went to the portal, got three. The one argument I would make there, though, is that for Venables, the transfer portal is a new beast relatively because remember coaching at Clemson they were not utilizing the transfer portal it finally got to the point that they dipped into it this year but it was not a part of their recruiting effort and I think that Venables tried to carry that over a bit he's still learning about the transfer portal as much as anything with your argument do you think though that Oklahoma will be able to improve so much on that side of the football that it will make a difference of four victories. No. I mean, it could, but I don't think it would either. I'm not taking Oklahoma over nine and a half. I'm taking the under. No, now, I'm I'm looking at tops, maybe one or two victories. Case or Texas, rather. So to me, I mean, Texas and K-State, they got very similar stories Heading into the class of 2023, they have lost multiple players defensively to the NFL. 
They lost their running back at Texas's situation. They lost their top two running backs to the NFL. Quarterbacks return. They have a, uh, some fr- very key pieces on defense returning. And by the way, K-State and Texas are going to be fighting each other to see who has the best offensive line in the Big 12. Because both Texas and, and K-State have all five starters returning from last year. And obviously, to be so successful in the run game, protecting your quarterback, you got to have a pretty tough offensive line. To me, that's the most important unit on a football team. And Texas and, and uh, I keep saying Oklahoma, Texas and K State, you know, they, they'll, they'll probably have two of the top 10 offensive lines in the nation this next football season. But Texas, like K-State, replacing your best one of your best players, a couple of your best players, but one of them being running back. And B. John Robinson went in the first round in the first top ten in the first ten picks. I feel bad for him. He went to the Atlanta Falcons. I think his <laughs> uh, uh, the career might not go too long if he stays in Atlanta for quite some time. But I tell you what, Sarkeesian does have some guys to back him up, but it's guys that have shown, you know, barely shown any. Fight. I mean, Jonathan Brooks, who's going to be maybe the starting guy for Texas ran the ball 30 times last year for a buck 97 five touchdowns I mean he at least has some experience but he's going to probably be their starter this upcoming season they also have a very very talented class coming in but how many times have we said that about Texas very talented class coming in talent coming back almost every year and their over-unders nine and a half ten wins well, even with B. John Robinson, they won eight games last year. Even with – they're going to have a good defense next year. Texas is going to be very good defensively. They're going to they're going to be very tough to run against like they were last year. But not having B. John Robinson back. A number of guys on defense, you know. Do I say they go over 9 and – I think they have a better argument than Oklahoma does at getting to 9 or 10 wins, but it's still tough to – they're going to probably disappoint the national folks, right? I'm here for so, it. So you, you, you're you not going to put them over a nine and a half? No. Yeah, I don't think I could either. No. Now, meanwhile, for K-State, eight and a half. Okay, let's look at the schedule here real quick. Uh, let's see. They start with SEMO, Troy, Missouri. I see three wins there. Hey, I love the opener against UCF. If there's a team out of the four that's going to be the newbies that could – you know, finish top half of the Big 12. If I had to pick just one, I'd probably pick UCF. I think that's a very good Big 12 home opener. Opens Big 12 play. It's a rarity for K-State. All right, then they go on a bye after UCF. Uh, give the nation a break on greatness. And then you have road games against Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Two tough ones on the road, but I think the Cats get them done. Then you have at home, TCU, Houston. I like two wins there at Texas think the cats are due they get a win in austin and then you finish out the regular season with baylor kansas and iowa state favorable schedule yeah i'm gonna take the over take the over eight and a half and as i said uh after the sugar bowl totally totally have k-state and there's no shocker about this contenders for a big 12 championship next season let me see who can is there anybody else i can pick on here uh, let's see. Oh boy, Iowa State of five and a half. That's actually tough. That's, a, that's. A, I'm gonna take the. You know what? Over. As as much as I don't want to say that, uh, you know, Matt Campbell one hit wonder, and his hit, you know, you could argue was it even a top ten hit because 
Iowa State with its best roster ever in 2021, way underachieved. Their best year when they made the Big 12 championship game was the COVID year. We've basically thrown out at the, out the window. Asterisk beside that. And boy, did that offense stink mm-hmm. last year. Good defense. That's Matt Campbell for you. Good defense, but did not have the offense to back that up. And now you're going to tell me, well, best player offense is gone. Best player on defense is gone. Uh, they have picked up nobody in the transfer portal. Man, maybe I'm not going to give him the over. Might have to give him the under. West Virginia, under four and a half. Under. And uh, who else can I pull out here? T- I, like I said, TCU's a wild card. Kansas is six and a half. That might be the toughest one of them all, honestly. But I'm going to go under. Six wins for the Kansas Jayhawks next year. All right. When we come back, let's hear from Josh Hayes, who had an introductory press conference via Zoom with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, media. And, uh, boy, he grew up just outside Tampa, and he he has ties, family ties of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're going to hear about that when we come back on the game. I love this song. I wish we it, it was a version that had the lyrics in it. You know what the summer, summer, summer time. It's not officially summer, but it maybe kind of feels like it today. Is it when you get came in? Because I haven't stepped outside since probably noon. Humid, yes. Yeah, but the clouds are starting to clear away, and we're looking at ninety tomorrow. All right, let's get some home runs tonight, back cats. Humid, right? Humid's a good thing for yes, it is for yeah home runs. Okay. It's our one of the game, Mitch and Troy with you. I want to send an, another congratulations out. Ish Masood has found his new home. He is transferring away from K-State after a couple of years. And by the way, this past season, hitting some of the biggest shots of the year, the three-point winner at Baylor. He had the baseline jumper against Michigan State. He had a huge three-pointer, a deep three-pointer against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. Huge buckets made by Ish Masood who for a while was barely seeing the floor, and then he found his role as a dynamic three-point shooter, and he'll be heading to Georgetown. He'll be heading. He'll be playing for Ed Cooley, who is the new head coach, who maybe, I, maybe they met in Greensboro because K-State and uh, Providence actually played in Greensboro for the first and second round of the NCAA tournament. Well, I, I should say Providence, they didn't get out of the first round. They lost to Kentucky. They almost played each other, did K-State and, and Providence, but not quite. Uh, but uh, Ishmael will finish up his college basketball career as a Hoya. Ed Cooley taking over for Patrick Ewing, who uh, finished his run with the Hoyas as a head coach after six seasons. Really bad, really bad last year for Georgetown. Seven wins, I think, on the year for Georgetown. Really bad. I mean, you don't you don't think of Georgetown basketball in seven wins and thirty uh, some odd games in conference that they've lost consecutively. Oh, boy, I didn't realize it was that Yeah, bad. there there was a stretch there, yes. Oh, wow. Uh, all right, let's get to Josh Hayes. Josh, uh, last week, was picked in the sixth round, in the early in the sixth round of the NFL draft, and like the two players prior to him, drafted to 
his hometown team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Josh Hayes, who played a year as a safety for the Cats, who I was a really big fan of. But if you ask you know, the draft experts, they didn't consider Josh a draft pick. He would have gone as an undrafted free agent. He, of course, would have found a home to get his opportunity to work his way into playing professional football. But he was picked up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's from Lakeland, Florida. And he also has a pretty big family tie to the Bucks that really moved a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers media. Here is an abbreviated version of Josh Hayes' introductory press conference to the Tampa Bay media. Yeah, I mean, just getting a phone call, you know, just kind of sitting, waiting around. You know, today started to get a little long for me, so uh, everybody in the house started getting a little loud, just, you know, hanging out and stuff. So I went upstairs and just kind of turned on the TV and just kind of watching, and then phones started ringing. I saw the 813, and I'm like, man, there's no way. There is no way. So uh answered the phone, and I couldn't – I can't even explain – the emotions I felt at that point. I mean, excitement, relief, just kind of, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life, you know? So, yeah, I mean, nothing like it. When you Were you waiting for a phone call from this team your whole life? Because I, you know, we, we saw where you grew up, you know, yeah. just down the road in, in Lakeland. And, and your football journey has taken you so many different places. No, for sure. I mean, you know, kind of at the point I was at um, a few minutes ago, I mean, I was just kind of waiting for a phone call from anybody, you know, but once I saw that 813 pop up and, you know, being from Florida and then actually having, you know, family members that played in Tampa at Tampa Bay. So it was like, you know, I mean, God, God works in mysterious ways. So, you know, it, and like I said, no feeling better. Josh, forgive me. You said family members. Who do you have that played here? Uh, Gino Hayes. Yeah, he played in uh, 2000. I want to say he got drafted in 2000. We, we all covered him. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. That's my uncle. Oh, my gosh. You guys look so much alike now yeah yeah oh my gosh (laughs) i'm so sorry for your loss oh no you know god does everything for me yeah no that's favorite one of my favorite people on this earth well he was one of my favorite people on this earth well one of my favorite people to cover too yeah wow hey josh you've lined up a little bit everywhere in the secondary you got some corner got some safety i would think you could be a nickel do you have a sense for where the bucks like you or where you might be most comfortable playing in the secondary um you know i've definitely talked about uh playing in that nickel position after getting a lot of reps at it this year and then possibly um you know lining up at safety as well so i mean that's something we'll have to go in and once we get to work kind of see how that all plays out ever since you you mentioned gino's name now it's like the resemblance it's just oh my gosh like yeah. i <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, several of us covered him. What were you able to lean on him to to kind of get advice on on your football journey and and just the whole process of this and and getting to this next level? It's it's a long and difficult journey. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, um, you know, he was kind of he was kind of my role model in that sense. You know, he was kind of the person that as I was growing up that made me feel like you know making it to the NFL was possible. So, you know, he was somebody that I called frequently and we talked all the time just about life, football and the things that kind of come, that come with it, you know, that kind of, that intertwine together, life and football, you know, so just being able to balance all that stuff like that, that's really what we talk about. What was the greatest piece of advice he gave you? Uh, He just told me to be dependable. Dependability is everything, you know, and in the NFL, you know, coaches, scouts, whoever it is, they got to be able to depend on you and know that you're going to do your job every single play. And it's not just, you know, you can make a slash play here, but then give up seven plays right after you know you got to be the same guy every single down what would you say to buccaneers fans your capabilities and what you'd be bringing to the defense here in tampa well firstly i I like to pride myself on my toughness you know 
I'm not going to back down from any battle, any person. I don't care who it is. So I think you just the, – all the fans uh, of, of the Bucks are going to get somebody that's ready to work, of course, but also somebody that's not not afraid of anything, anyone. You know, I fear no man but God. So I feel like that's the biggest thing they'll be able to see out of me. Where are you today? Are you in Lakeland or? Yeah, I'm. I'm back home in uh, Lakeland, Florida. Yes, man. So how did how did your family react when when the phone call and you saw the eight one three number? Yeah, you know, uh, like I, I was upstairs for uh, while I took the phone call, but then I came down just smiling, you know. And I was trying to, you know, let them just let it just pop up on the screen, but when once like my parents saw me smiling, they kind of knew the gig was up. So, um, you know, I just kind of told them, yeah, we're going to Tampa, and just screams from everybody, you know, just that excitement. Late uncle played maybe a role in it. Yeah, hopefully so. You know, hopefully, hopefully he's watching down on me right now, smiling. Do you have a preference as to where you line up? I mean, I know like at nickel, it's it's challenging in its own way. The two way go, and and sometimes yeah. there's those shorter routes, and then you know on the outside you're using the boundary. You know, safety is mm-hmm. a whole different animal. Do you have kind of a comfort zone on or where you think you might wind up at at this next level? I'm a football player, you know, so I really have no preference. You know, I just wherever wherever I can get on the field and line up, that's where I can be comfortable, you know. So I was very fond of your uncle. I used <laughs> to do his radio show with him. Ah, okay, okay. I have photos of me holding Jamari when he was <laughs> like God. a little baby. So yeah. I got a little choked up when you told me that. We had a lot of conversations actually. Um yeah. when he was sick and mm-hmm. he, he was honestly the first um he was the first person that really had my back in, in the locker room and made me feel welcome many, many, many years ago. So I um, it sounds like him. So there you have it, Josh Hayes, with the uh, media of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, he really moved uh, that lady uh, that covers the Buccaneers and that uh, relationship she used to have with Gino Hayes. So that that's where this really becomes special. I mean. If you look at everybody that was drafted this year for K-State, in its way, it's a very special story. You know, with being drafted in their hometowns and Julius Brents being a gigantic Colts fan growing up. Uh, of course, uh, Felix Andy D.K. Uzama, growing up 10 miles from Arrowhead Stadium. Huge Chiefs fan growing up. Um, and then you have Deuce Vaughn, who you know, his dad had the honor of calling him to let him know that he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy but for Josh Hayes, his uncle Gino played a few years with the Buccaneers, as a matter of fact. So Josh was drafted in the sixth round, pick number 181. His uncle Gino was drafted in the sixth round, pick number 175 by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he went to college at Florida State. But the story is he had to retire from football uh, after six seasons. And then a few years later, he was diagnosed with liver cancer. Gino Hayes passed away at the age of 33 due to chronic liver disease. And now Josh Hayes has potentially the opportunity to carry on his uncle's legacy that was left behind by a shortened NFL career and a very early death to try to carry on that Hayes name for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that obviously means a lot to that lady that was talking with Josh on that zoom call during uh, you know, during that press conference so it's a very touching story when it comes to Josh and getting on the field for the Buccaneers the way I look at it is that the reason why they brought up nickel quite a bit is that's because the Bucks they probably drafted Josh as a nickel I would that'd be my guess because they really needed one um, if he were to play 
corner of safety, I, the thing is, he's not going to start. He's got veterans in front, unless he just absolutely tore it up in the preseason. It'd be really hard to get a lot of playing time. Uh, probably be left to special teams, and but be really be hard to get uh, playing time at safety at corner. To be a nickel, though, he could definitely see uh, quite a bit of playing time. Limited time on the game this afternoon as we get you ready for K-State baseball coming up at the bottom of the hour. Mitch is on his way out to Toynton Family Stadium to serve as Mr. PA voice for the night. Troy Coverdale with you here for the next few minutes before we send you out to the ballpark. Anybody else getting tired of the constant drama online over who actually has what story regarding the Big 12 and the Pac-12? We find ourselves in another stretch here where the week has turned into, well, I'm not going to say the title of the Nirvana song, but any of you who know Nirvana's history will understand territorial and we'll leave it there. That's what this has all become at this point. This ongoing, territorial, to the point where reporters, in some of their cases, reporters that I've had respect for in the past, are going head-on against other reporters and trying to discredit everything that gets said by one media person that they may not like. I said it at the start of last summer when the Pac-12 situation exploded with the move of UCLA and USC being announced that John Canzano was a solid reporter. And he was. Was. He's gotten to the point where he's taking this stuff personal now. John Wilner is the same way. There's a reason why Canzano is no longer with the Oregonian. Wilner still has his job in the Bay Area. But given the way that newspapers are going, that may not be for long as that's a newspaper owned by the same group that owns the Denver Post, and that's problematic in and of itself. But the two of them have essentially gotten to this point where any rumbling that the Big 12 is making a move or discussing this or that any of the media outlets that they think should be involved in carrying the Pac-12 going forward, or any of the schools of the Pac-12 are considering moves or have met with the Big 12. The two of them are taking reporting on the situation personal. I give credit where credit is due. As someone who watched the explosion of the Pac-12 No, explosion's not the right word. Slow-motion train wreck of the Pac-12 with Larry Scott as its commissioner. The two of them reported exceptionally well on 
the things that led to Larry Scott finally being ousted. And they're also the ones who have led the reporting on the situation that blew up regarding the Pac-12's deal with Comcast, where apparently there's been money withheld and you can get into a whole shebang there now where uh, you've had uh, executives at the Pac-12 lose their jobs over the situation. And there's questions surrounding Larry Scott there. But they have gone above and beyond in taking it personal when someone reporting on the marketplace states anything. And this week their target has been Dennis Dodds. Dennis is a Mizzou guy as an alum, a Kansas City star guy before going to work for CBS Sports. That's where he is now. And he reported this week that ESPN essentially, that a source told him that ESPN is out of the mix when it comes to the Pac-12. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that sources in any of the conferences or at any of the networks aren't potentially using reporters in this whole melee. There are so many behind-the-scenes machinations that go on And let's remember, it's college football. It's not as if the NCAA has any real control over anything that's going on in college football at this point. And as such, it continues to be, for the most part, every man for themselves. As that has become more and more evident in the moves the last two summers. So Dennis Dodds this afternoon, speaking with our friends in Waco at 365 Sports, noted that in his piece this week, in which he talked to an ESPN source and laid out what he knew as of this week, There's another good qualifier for it. But he told the guys at 365 Sports that he vetted his story with his source at ESPN before he ran with it. That this wasn't just some out-of-the-blue claim. Canzano has taken this to the point where on his substack, and I don't subscribe. But Tim Fitzgerald and I were commenting back and forth last night that almost wish that we did just so we could read more of how hurt he is by all of this or how steamed he is. He's mad. He's mad about the reporting. 
and claims that everything is being done to undermine the Pac-12 and this, that, and the other thing. And he's taking it personal. It's hard enough to just report on this stuff. Those machinations that are going on behind the scenes, the every-man-for-himself mindset that rules administrations in college football makes it tough enough to begin with. And let's be perfectly honest. You may have a source at a network tell you one thing. There may be another person sitting five cubicles down that will tell you something else. The entirety of this ongoing swirling fight and the fact that it has become, once again, the title of a Nirvana song, is, it's unbelievable. I'm a Big 12 guy as much as anyone. The honest truth is I'm a Big 8 guy. I grew up in the Big 8 conference. I've had a distaste for the Big 10 after all of those years of ABC cramming the Big 10 down our throats. on our Saturday afternoons and telling us that it was great football when it was three yards and a cloud of dust. Great football. You have Iowa in your conference for crying out loud. Great football. But to make it about personalities arguing over whose reporting is right and whose reporting is wrong and taking things personal and putting all of your personal worth, apparently, into these arguments. This is madness. This is utter madness. The stuff is going to sort itself out. We may not like how it's going to sort itself out. We may not like the machinations that are going on behind the scenes. And we're welcome to make our comments. And we're welcome to talk about it. And we're welcome, but for crying out loud, to put your entire self-worth into whether Utah comes to the Big 12 or wants to turn up their nose and go elsewhere. I mean, this it's comedic if it wasn't so stinking sad. Why do you think people make fun of the hell site that is Twitter? Besides Elon Musk running it. It's a hell site. This is why it's a hell site. And people are way too invested in this. To take this another angle. Here's one little tidbit. That while 
folks have made fun of the Pac-12 for the possibility that it may play out a certain way, they may wind up actually being in a pretty good spot if this happens. The Vegas Golden Knights this week announced that they are going to move all of their games off of Bally Sports. They're taking back their rights. They've sold their rights to Scripps, EW Scripps, the folks who own KSHB, by the way, in Kansas City. Scripps has TV stations across the country. And next year, the Vegas Golden Knights games are going to be back on over-the-air television. The WNBA has signed a deal with Scripps and will have a weekly presentation on ION TV. And I know folks mocked this when ION was mentioned originally, but the fact of the matter is ION is over-the-air television it increases the access to the audience. The L.A. Clippers apparently are going to be making a deal shortly to go back to over-the-air television instead of being on Bally Sports next year. And the Phoenix Suns already took back their rights, and yes, it's going to land in court. Their view is that the bankruptcy filing by Bally, parent Diamond Sports, gives them the ability to go elsewhere now. That means they're headed to local television. Oh, and by the way, the folks that own the stations that they're headed to, Gray, yeah, those are the folks that own Channel 13 in Topeka, WIBW. You see, moves are being made that I honestly have thought should be made for about the last decade to 15 years. And it comes because the regional sports net model is failing. Now, is it going to play out where that means something for the Pac-12? Even the Big 12 in the near future? Quite possibly. Yes, an ION TV deal isn't going to have the gloss of what ESPN and the like would do, but guess what? It's going to expand the opportunity at audience because it is over the air. And where ION doesn't have, where Scripps doesn't have affiliates, they're going to try to probably line up other stations along the way. And we're back to the old regional network days. Yeah, the old Big 8 network type or Big 12 network type before everything landed on cable. That, honestly, is a good thing for everyone involved. Granted, for the folks that want to continue to mock and take things personally on social media and attack messengers and lock up all of their all of their emotion into and all of their self-worth into what network their conference is on. I mean, really, Kenzano? Yeah, that's not going to 
pan out real well. I get that. But we may wind up very shortly with the Royals on over-the-air television. And the thing that most of our folks have complained about in the Big 12 footprint, ESPN+, Plus, Big 12 now on ESPN, might not be something that takes off the way that, oh, say, the Pac-12 on ION. I know, it just doesn't sound right. But does take off. You don't know. At this point, it could very well work. Why? Because over-the-air TV still remains the king. And people don't realize that. We fail to pay attention to this fact. That for all of a cable channel's talk about being the most-watched news network... they still fall way below the newscasts on the three big over-the-air networks. People still watch over-the-air television in different ways than what we have in the past, but it is still done, and it still draws more eyeballs, which is why the NFL continues to ensure that its games are weekly on multiple over-the-air networks. There's a thought process behind it, and the NFL has done it right. They understand it. Everybody else now may be catching up, actually, and it may be the college conferences that are right there with them as well. K-State baseball on the way on this Friday evening. Folks, have a great weekend. We'll look forward to catching up to you again on Monday.